welcome to Clean Break. I am your co-host, Tina Murray. And I am your co-host, Darren Javak. Darren, what is on the show today? Uh, on the show today, Tina, we're going to have Connie Lamble, a lawyer in North Grenville and the Kempville area. Uh, she's a resident here and she's married with two kids. She, uh, Connie ha uh, received her undergraduate degree from Carleton University and her graduate degree in law from Ottawa U. Uh, she's been practicing real estate and estate for uh, for 20 years, and she's been a lawyer for eight years with uh, her own private practice for the last four years here in Kempville. Also, uh, Connie is a tireless supporter of the community. She's been involved with the Knights of Columbus. She's been involved with uh, Kempville Youth Centre and North Granville Community Fund. And what are we going to learn from Connie today? So today we're going to talk a little bit about wills and estates and Connie's going to focus on some of the pitfalls that some clients make when they are getting divorced. She's going to talk a little bit about uh, your power of attorney and what you should think about with that. Uh, and you should also, what things you should be thinking about when it comes to divorce and revoking your will. Sounds like it's going to be a great show. Yeah, can't wait. Let's go for it. When I do a will for people, I encourage them strongly, and most people always do do powers of attorney. Historically, interestingly enough, that was not the case. So I do have clients coming to me who have wills and don't have powers of attorney. It right. wasn't the norm, I guess, maybe 20 to 30 years ago to have those done together. I actually say to people that say, oh, I'm not sure if I need to do a will. I say, you know what, actually the will is the less of your issues. Powers of attorney are more important because if you are incapacitated, and you can't do your own banking, you're in the hospital, someone needs to be able to take some of your assets to provide for your care, to pay your hydro while you're, while you're in the hospital, maybe even sell your house if you're never coming back to that house. They can't do that. They have to go before a judge, become appointed as a power of attorney, and then because they weren't named by the person who is incapacitated, they have to go back to that judge every year and show a full accounting of everything they did. Hmm. And I mean, as a power of attorney, you're obligated to keep track and account to the person who's incapacitated, but going having to go back to a judge, that intimidates people, so they don't want to take that job. So they don't want to go through the effort of, oh, going for the judge in the first place and then being obligated to report back every year. So uh, naming is essential. And in fact, when I do powers of attorney and wills, I always say to people, this has to be a document that makes sense. This only happens to you tomorrow, but let's build in some longevity. Let's do backup executors, backup power attorneys, all the way down to your eight-year-old child if you want to, because right. if right. this document isn't used for another 30 years, your uh, mom, who you wanted to be your power of attorney for care, your dad, who you wanted to be your power of attorney for property, your, your sibling, who you wanted to be guardian for your children, could all be... Um, incapacitated, dead, or moved away, or incapable of, be of acting because they have a, a crisis of their own. There's many things that have happened. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard to get someone to step up to the plate when that barrier having to go to court and apply. So when I do those documents with people, I say, great, so here's your first choice, here's your second choice, what's your third choice? And people always look at me like, well, I'll just come back and change it. And I said, meh, maybe you will, maybe you won't. Right. And I mean, another issue, especially for people who are getting a little bit older is, they may not have the capacity to change it. So I've had that happen. So if I develop Alzheimer's at the age of 70, I could live for another 15 years but not have the capacity to change it. So the people that I have named, siblings, friends, people of my generation, may have difficulty acting at 85. Right. Uh, so if I didn't build in some longevity to my plan, even though 
uh, yeah, sure, I could have changed it. I didn't before I had a period of incapacity and then I'm not capable any longer. So that's one of the things that I think is super important is really having both a short-term and a very long-term look at your documents just in case you don't get back and change them. Right. So like, sorry, Darren, uh, just, no, like, you know, if you have young children, right? So when I did my, um, we did a power of attorney, we did our will and stuff. And, you know, we're in a far different situation financially than we are now, but also my kids were little. Mm -hmm. And now I have an 18-year-old and um, I, I probably should take a look because I, I probably just I know I you know I would have obviously named my my husband and he would have named me or is that something that just naturally happens like no. if we're married if I'm married my husband automatically no okay there's no automatic and that's especially with powers of attorney people think that they think well I don't need to worry about powers of attorney because I'm the spouse if something happens to my husband I can do his banking you can if you have a joint bank account, but you can't if he has his own bank account or his own investments or anything else. Okay. Um, and you certainly can't sign off on your joint home. Oh, okay. Unless so. I'm actually yeah, you have to, yeah. Yeah. being a spouse doesn't buy you anything. Okay. <laughs> okay. So back to the just I think my original, original thoughts was you know obviously my children were not. You know, my children were not named as my power of attorney, but now, as my oldest is is an adult, mm -hmm. um, maybe that would be something I would could reconsider. Is that a hard process to go in and rechange it? Is it basically starting from scratch? It depends. Or? So, from a will perspective, it's easy to do something called a, called a codicil, which is okay. just an amendment. And if all you're altering is your executors, that's an easy fix. Mm -hmm. um, powers of attorney. Traditionally, I suggest people don't amend them simply because they have to pass the muster at the bank when the time comes. And the simpler and cleaner that document is, the easier it's going to be for them to get in and start acting okay. um, because there's the, that red tape. It's not essential. You can amend it, but um, <clears throat> it's an easy change. It's not difficult, but I would probably wait a little bit longer if uh, one of the things that will be a factor is once your children have settled which one is closest because although for an executor a lot of times people think executors can't act if they're not in Ontario and that is not in fact true I was going to be one of my questions actually yeah, is because if, it's if a common misconception at... because what happens is there is an extra burden they can't act if you didn't have a will so if I died today we call that dying intestate and I didn't have a will that is that's intestate someone who lives outside of Ontario couldn't step up and say oh I'll be the executor oh Okay. Um, if I had a will that said, let's say I want my brother to be my executor and he lives in BC or the States, it doesn't matter, he could be it because I've named him. Oh. But then there is an extra burden on him um, when he goes to act, we take the will to court to have it proven. Mm -hmm. um, that's called the process of probate in Ontario. When we do that, a judge says, oh, your executor's outside of Ontario, we want them to post a bond, it's called. And it's kind of similar to the way we think of bond, which is letting a criminal out of jail. It's allowing the executor to have access to the assets of the estate. And to do that, they have to put up money. Huh. Because the judge is really? saying, yeah, well, the judge, is, the judge is saying, well, I don't have jurisdiction over you. You leave this province with the money. What can I do about it as a judge? Nothing. Right. Oh. So if you're you, the out of province executor, wants to act you put up there are companies that do that so like mm. if the estate 600 i had an estate one time it was a little over a million and i think the bond was about 2400 bucks okay a year from a company it's a form of insurance right so huh. it's not like you actually have to have a million to be able to act but you have to insure mm. yourself as an executor so that if you absconded to a different jurisdiction uh the beneficiaries wouldn't be Left. left with nothing, yeah. Interesting. Quick question. So um, do you usually recommend that the the POAs or the powers of attorney be 
different for let's say medical and financial or is no it's 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 a complete a, choice yeah. yeah so there's no difference the, like for, for those no sometimes people so the more common what i would say question and the more com- more complicated issue is when you have young children and you're naming an executor they and then you name a guardian mm. do you want them to be the same people so mm. sometimes people like to see the person holding the money different from the person who's taking care of their children just to ensure no um, self-helping. <laughs> yeah, and that's, so, you know, that's what oh, I was asking. Oh, you know, mm-hmm. so the so the guardian goes, oh, well, the children would really enjoy a new house and a pool. Well, yeah, but maybe yeah. they'd enjoy an education more, so, you know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and, and really, we get into that more in situations where, where estates are very large, but also to um, just to share the burden. So not mm-hmm. even a, a worrying about that might happen someday that there would be misuse. But sometimes people will say, well, you know, my I know my siblings will take care of my children, but they already have two of their own. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll get my dad to be the executor and there can be a sharing of the financial responsibility versus the care responsibilities. Mm-hmm. I guess the, the the reason I ask is that about sometimes POAs. I hear, yeah, about POAs is I hear stories about, you know, um, you can pull the plug and drain the bank account. Right. So you're looking at a conflict say, of interest. Yeah, I guess some people are concerned that you know if they if they allow the power of attorney to be the same person, it's not their spouse. They're like, well, that person technically, if the person is in the hospital, could say yes, go ahead, pull the plug, and then run out to the bank and drain the bank account yeah. or something. I like think that. realistically, doctors aren't going to let you pull the plug if it's just a cold. Right. <laughs> If it's just a cold, you have the power or the ability to tell them you're not dying. Exactly. So really, I think the, the situations where that would happen would be few and far between. Right. Um, one of the things, though, in terms of powers of attorney for care is if... I think the time that it's really important to think about who your medical provider is or your medical provider, your medical decision maker, is if you have a specific illness. Mm-hmm. So the example that you gave about whether we're going to hasten death by pulling the plug or we're going to see if there's some survival ability uh, and uh, recoverability, then that's, sorry, <laughs> I, got, I got No, confused. no, keep going, keep going. <laughs> sorry, I'm having a, uh, just Hi. for all of you, I, I'm having a, um, a message conversation in the room here. So yeah. sorry, Connie. See, so, well, that's the thing, I, I know, like, <laughs> Tina's really good at multitasking, right? So she's actually having a conversation while she's listening to you. <laughs> Yeah, Whereas so I'm, I, I'm a man, so I have to do one thing at a time, right? So Sorry, Connie. Well, I'm wondering if everything's okay at home. No, everything's good. See, that's the woman in you. Because well, if I have my phone in front of me, which I do, it's because I'm worried about where my children are and what exactly are they doing. I'm just trying to figure out where we're going for beers after. So, so. so I wanted to actually, let, let's just talk a little bit about divorce now, right? Okay, yeah. So I, I know that you said you do uncontested divorce, but yeah. let's just talk. So we are talking about wills and estates yep. and powers of attorney. So obviously, if... Um, if a couple separates, yeah. then what happens? What happens to their will? What happens to their powers of attorney? What, what kind of, like, that just seems to be, like, it's a whole new story. Yeah, they absolutely need to be amended. Um, so separating and occasionally even divorcing are not sufficient, courts have decided, to um, end those designations that you put in that document. So if you haven't bothered to update them, your former spouse could be the decision maker while you're sick, could be the decision maker if you die, uh, could be handling your account. So usually people do come pretty quickly to me when they're going through this process. Although I've had lots of couples also that are happily 
divorcing. I know that does sound a little, but you know, they're very um, amicable. And they actually still want their former spouse to be their power of attorney because they know really they'll be managing that money not only for themselves, but for the children who are are uh, belong to both of them so they want that continuity for their children which you know is great but it's certainly you need to look at it one of the things you mentioned is should I look at my wills um, you know wills probably don't have to be changed as often as what some people might suggest um, for example I've had lawyers I've had clients bring me letters from former lawyers saying well you know there's this change in law you need to change your will or you got married so you need to change your will because your name will be different well if you got married you definitely need to change your will because your marriage revoked it but a name change alone isn't sufficient so if you've named a a child who changes their name you don't need to change your will it's good if you're going to do it anyway but it's not a reason to come in to change it but divorce separation Absolutely. Pull it out, look at it, make sure that you still want that person making decisions for you. So so if you said something that just is a little bit weird to me, okay. um, if if I get married, it revokes my will if I had one prior to my marriage. Yeah. But if I get divorced, it doesn't? Not Why is that? Like That just seems weird that one revokes it and the other doesn't. Yeah, I, I mean, there's, good there's, point. there's yep. lots of different reasons for it. The law which revokes it when you get married is... A, is ancient <laughs> okay but it's it's reasonable so what it's saying is um, you know have new obligations um, because you're divorced you may not necessarily have new obligations um, certainly the divorce would revoke it in terms of that spouse so if you had a gift to that spouse that's that spouse after divorce would not get that gift but you would then have an intestacy, the whole situation of not then having a will, or potentially could have an intestacy, I should say. So it just there's no point in leaving it to chance. Um, it's an essential part of your feeling comfortable, I think, for most people. Most people that come to see me who've been through separation and divorce, um, it's that last piece of the puzzle that makes them feel like they've taken responsibility for the changes that are happening in their life and that they feel comfortable because it's a, it's a tough time. You went from a, a situation where you had someone that you could always rely on to be that other person and now you don't. So it's a really uh, essential piece to look around and see where your support network is and make sure that you have them lined up. Right. Um, so, um, uh, you know, somebody has children and it's, it's, a, it's a nasty divorce. So if it's a nasty okay. divorce, you don't deal with it. I don't deal with the divorce aspect of it. They still would need new wills and new powers of attorney. Okay, I come into you and I say, you know what? That jerk left me and I don't want him to have my kids that are our children. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and so my power of attorney, I, I don't want him. I, I, you know, not power of attorney in my will. I don't want him to have custody of my kids. Sure. I want my parents to have it or my brother yeah. to have it. Does that hold any legal no. standing? No, no, because he is the parent. Natural parents, unless the natural parent had some... Um, deficiency so they already weren't able to be uh, a full parent because they were they needed supervised custody because there had been some issues in the past other than that provided that isn't the case then the natural parent would be the natural guardian okay I mean certainly I have come into a new area of law has seen it happen where grandparents are looking to get rights okay uh, to visit separated uh, you know, families and the children are living primarily with one parent and the grandparents are on the other side. And even though their child isn't having regular access with the grandchildren, the grandparents want it and, right. and maybe are having difficulty getting it. That's definitely not something I help with. 
<laughs> that's definitely where I send you away to a litigation lawyer. But uh, it is an interesting and new area of law. And right. unfortunately, you cannot, you can give your suggestions in a will. So I encourage people to say, you know, I would wish that my family would be continue to have access. I wish that this person, um, so for example, especially in situations where there's a blended family and there's already a new partner and that new partner is standing in the shoes of the, the, the parent for the time that the child is spending at that house, they will probably want to maintain a relationship. So you can certainly put it in the will. Uh, it doesn't hurt for a court to know what your wishes are. And really, ultimately, that's what you're doing when you name a guardian anyway, because naming a guardian in a will is not a fait accompli that they are going to be the guardian. They still have to go before a judge and say, here I am. Yes, I know I was named, but I am willing to do the job and I'd like to be appointed. And other people have an opportunity to come in and go, eh, no, you know, since so-and-so did that will, you developed a gambling addiction or now you live in Alberta and you didn't when they named you or whatever the case may be. So it's never, you know, and then people want that certainty and they want to put that in a will, but the reality is, is all you can do is give your best wishes and um, who you would like to be the one and we're ones that are involved and and hope that it bears out that way. Go ahead. So I got two two things I want to ask really quick. Um, so number one, um, what would you say is probably one of the biggest mistakes divorcing couples mm-hmm. make or a divorcing client would make as far as the estate goes? What, mistakes, like, divor- uh, biggest, biggest mistake thing is that- to forget about things that you've designated that you don't want going there. So okay. I have seen... Um, like beneficiaries and stuff absolutely. like that. Absolutely. Okay. So you have... The biggest example of this is if you have um, life insurance in your workplace, mm-hmm. You set that policy up 20 years ago, then you forget about it and you continue to work for that firm and it could be a good policy with a substantial payout upon your death and you've designated your spouse and then you move on and you divorce and you don't change it. Mm, good point. Now the now if, some, now if that person has moved on, they've got a new spouse, but maybe they're common law, they're not married. Yes. And uh, the, the previous spouse would get the insurance, right? Yep. So that yeah. would be something that Yeah, would... so that's the biggest mistake, is I think, is not thinking about it. And so when people come in to do a will, the very first thing I say is, I want you to think about everything you ever set up, and this is whether you're divorcing or you're not, every designation in a life insurance plan, an RSP, um, you know, I've, I've seen situations wh- where um, a person named his mother got married a few years later, mm. unfortunately died young, Uh, didn't change it over to his wife because, you know, Mm. it was a very short period of time. But mom was the beneficiary, and uh, that's a tough situation. Or another situation where um, family names first child Mm. under the life insurance policy, goes on to have second child, never changes it. First child takes the opinion after the parents pass away that that was mom and dad's intention. So I would say the biggest thing is not sitting down and really giving thought to what you've ever done. The will is pretty straightforward. It's there, so Mm. you can look at it. And if you... If you don't even know where it is or you can't be bothered to find it, it was with a lawyer that was a lawyer for the couple and you want to start out on your own, doesn't matter. You can do a brand new will. Mm -hmm. It revokes. The first clause we always have is this will revokes all former wills. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're starting fresh. That's a good point. And so as soon as you do a new one, you don't have to worry about what you did in the old one. Does it, it, let's just say, um, you know, one partner does a new will. um, And the other partner does not. It only revokes that one person's well, All like, so, so, you know, husband and wife separate, they divorce, um, wife goes in and gets a new will done, yeah. husband does not. Is right. the entire thing revoked? Well, they're separate wills, so the... 
Mm -hmm. The wife can't revoke the husband's will because she only can. Even though you do wills together, you still have your own that is separate. Okay. So you're only controlling your own. So hers revokes hers and his is unrevoked. Okay. Um, That's a good point. That's a good point. Never thought about that. Yeah. So, okay. So I want to just touch a little bit on real estate. So you, you know, you do mortgage closings or property closings. Um, Any challenges you can see that you um, are faced with? In, in your job uh, as the lawyer representing a client in, in a purchase directly related to the divorce? Sure. So the biggest thing is if people don't do a separation agreement because they're so darn amicable and <laughs> or they just don't have a lot of assets and they don't think it's necessary, they can proceed. There's nothing that makes you get a separation agreement. But when you put the offer in on the house and you go to the bank, the bank will say, oh, you're a separating spouse. You have a separation agreement. Um, and two issues with that, sure, they can go get one real quick then. Sometimes they'll do their own or sometimes they did their own. And I'm not advocating that it's bad to do your own agreement. What I'm simply saying is banks often uh, balk at that. They mm. say their issue is they want to know what support's coming and going right. and contributing to your income. So, yeah, great. You have a great paycheck, but you're giving half to your spouse. They need to know that. So they want to know and they want to see something that says either that spouse has um, waived or that spouse is getting 200 a month or that spouse is getting 2000 or that spouse is giving you whatever which way it goes because if they don't do that so I actually had a situation where um, a couple one of the couple did not want to press the issue so the they were the breadwinner didn't want to press the issue of support so didn't throw down a separation agreement and say i want you to wave off because they were hoping that things would continue on this not being asked to pay support train (laughs) (laughs) and then you know had a nice income so they went and got their mortgage thought everything was great and then the bank like literally days before closing had a requirement that we produce the separation agreement uh, hadn't hadn't got to them that that was going to be a requirement and which can happen because they may not know at the point of initiation of the mortgage it might not have been communicated that this was a divorcing couple Uh. and so now here we are he's about to buy a house uh, and he needs a separation agreement so now the, the spouse who he was trying to go under the radar with has a significant advantage because he has an obligation to buy a house. <laughs> so it's leveraged. Uh, so, <laughs> so leaving it off and not doing a separation agreement, hoping it'll all just go away or, or is not a good approach. That's a mistake for sure that I've seen people make in relation to mortgages and a challenge. Um, when people have had home separation agreements, they've done their own. I'll, I have had banks accept a letter from me, the real estate lawyer, saying, um, you know, this separation agreement is valid and binding so much as what it covers. Right. Um, so, but it may not cover um, child support it, or alimony or those I've types seen, of things. I've seen a few pretty holy, holy homemade agreements. Right. <laughs> like written on the back right. of a napkin or something. Yeah, well, it's just simply they just tend to cover the basics of what people's, what's on their mind, right? right? Mm-hmm. At what's that on, time. Exactly. So they yeah. don't realize that there's a whole bunch of issues that are going to this this isn't a this isn't a, a very quick ending it's a long process mm-hmm. especially if you have kids mm-hmm. especially if there's some support so um it doesn't make sense to just do a quick agreement based on the few issues you need and think you're satisfied and because it can come back to bite you in a couple of different ways so if you do one of those you know quick homemade jobbies of the of the separation agreement and just um, add water and stir right yeah yeah <laughs> and and you know one you know one spouse realizes 
after it's all, they've both signed, mm -hmm. is it now a 100% legally binding document or can one come back and say, um, you know what, I feel like I kind of got taken on that one because you tried to slide it under the table and I thought at the time I was doing okay, but we have three children and you're paying me $500 a month. There's something wrong with this. Can they go back and It depends and on what it? the issue is. So child support is governed by the federal child support guidelines, which anyone can find online to know, just have a rough idea. Um, courts support those guidelines 100%. So if you, for example, um, let's say you're splitting from your spouse and your spouse says, I don't really want to have to pay any more money. I, you know, my budget's going to be tight moving forward. I don't want to give you child support. And you say, well, I really want the house. So I'll take the house. You don't pay me any child support. A court will absolutely not support that down the road mm -hmm. because the child support is for the child, not for you to have a nice house. Right. right. So there are some aspects of the agreement that could be struck down and without all of it being struck down. All of it could be struck down if there was issues of capacity, if there's duress. So obviously when you're going through a divorce, there can be some capacity issues, depression and other things. They can weigh into it. I mean, the best is not to sign it. So, I mean, I have had couples who will come to me and want me to be um, a witness to them and give them independent legal advice about an agreement. Right. And I can see that they're making emotional decisions. And I say, wait, just wait. There's no hurry. Like, you don't need to get a separation agreement done in the, a month after you've separated. Let the emotions... Um, settle before you make those financial decisions, especially if one of the parties feels they're responsible for the divorce, either directly or indirectly. So, you know, I've been too busy at work, I've been emotionally unavailable, or, you know, I had an affair, one of those things. They happen, but that doesn't mean you should uh, make an agreement based on your, your whole future on that one mistake or that feeling of responsibility. So I always encourage people to just step back, give it some time. And if they're having lawyers help them with a separation agreement, it'll take a while anyway. So it's just as well that they don't rush into those homemade ones and sign off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the extremes in those conditions are are, are what are dangerous for when they're separating, right? Because mm -hmm. you'll get the extremes where, where one, you know, the, where the parties are kind of like amicable, like you're saying, and, and they're almost giving away the, you know, the, the horse and the farm yep. together, right? Absolutely. So, because they just want to say, look, I just want this to be done. Yeah. I, they're, they're exactly. feeling like, yeah. like just, I want to move on, right? Yeah. So, but they don't realize the implications of what they're doing, right? Because they can't see it. Cause they can't see it, yeah. yeah. And then the flip side of that is where there's so much arguing mm -hmm. that, like, did you take that off the dresser? Did you take that quarter off the dresser? <laughs> you know, and they're like literally arguing about every little thing, you yeah. know? So those are the extremes. Absolutely. I think conversations with people like yourself are very valuable because it kind of brings a little bit of um, uh, common sense to the conversation, mm -hmm. right? And and I know those ready-made, any type of ready-made uh, um, application or, or wills or anything at all that's ready-made where you do it yourself mm -hmm. comes at a certain, you know, there's a it's, cost. There's, yeah, <laughs> really? the, because there is a, there's a, there's a cost associated with value, right? right. And, and advice. So if you get the right advice, it's got a lot of value. Yeah. And if you're not getting any advice and you're getting kind of like this form to fill out, right. well, you take your chances, but what 99% of the time you're not getting the best 
advice, mm -hmm. right, from that. So, mm -hmm. And it is such an emotional time, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you sometimes you're just not even thinking clearly at all whenever you're, whenever you're going through that process, and that's why it's really great to seek advice from people who are professionals. And um, there's another thing I've done as a mortgage agent. Um, I've had um, clients been able to have affidavits signed saying that they, perhaps there was no property involved or that property has already been sold. So we're not worrying about the division of those assets. Mm -hmm. Um, so sometimes I've had um, clients go into a lawyer and sign an affidavit. Can you explain a little bit, like from your perspective, of what what that might be or reasonings why? Yeah, usually it's to satisfy a condition for financing, as you said. So um, it could be similar even to the one I was mentioning earlier in terms of support that there is no support being paid. Instead of actually having in a full agreement, they could have an affidavit saying that the parties have agreed there's no support or that um, there is none expected to be paid. Right. So it's they, an affidavit is a sworn statement and banks typically treat them as if it's a form of proof. So if you don't have a T4 that says what your income is, you can do an affidavit and say what your income is and say here's what I make normally. Okay. So you, an affidavit could cover any topic. It's just you swearing that it's true and the bank would be relying on your statement. So, yeah, and it's signed by a, an officer of the court like well, yourself. We're, we're, or only swearing, your... we're only telling them to swear in front of us. So our okay. obligation for an affidavit is simply to confirm that they are who they say they are and for them to look at us and say, yes, this is all true. That's what our part is, is very small. Okay. Like I've, again, used uh, affidavits primarily when a client is not paying child support and we right. generally don't need child support to make the application work from a mortgage perspective. I think when we get to the points where we actually need income from the child support is where um, banks don't, like if we need that child support, I should say, to help support yeah, financially the buying parent. The, the, the buying parent. Um, in those cases, we tend not even to worry about affidavits because we really want to see a full separation, a fully signed separation yep. agreement. I find a lot of people do rush into those things because they feel like they need to get to that next yep. stage of life and they really want to buy a house or they yeah. really want to, you know, be move done on. with it. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's it's a really tough thing, and 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 you you know you try to counsel your 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 clients to be patient and, mm -hmm. and you know and sometimes that's a tough thing to do for yeah. everybody. Yeah, right? I think I think also from my perspective and I've said this in the past is just uh, sometimes people are just afraid they don't know what the they don't know what's happening uh, right. you know on the other side the big picture. of the yeah so the they picture. so you know like as as any type of uh, in any type of situation people are always when, when they're afraid they're always going to defend themselves so defending themselves meaning they don't know what is the danger so they're going to fight everything you know so anyways yeah um, I think that's true. so any other things you'd like that we maybe didn't cover today? Uh, no, I think probably just recognizing that you have to pull out your documents and look at them. They may not necessarily need changing. Mm -hmm. um, and recognizing that uh, if you got to the point of an intestacy that we just spoke briefly about, the outcome could be something that you really don't want. So if I die without a will, um, the law dictates what happens to my stuff. It doesn't go to the government. A lot of people worry about that. And although the government could ultimately administer your estate um, through the public guardian if no one steps up, the money doesn't go to the government. But um, I had an example. So a woman died without a will. She was married and had children. Um, and her husband was not on title to her house, their house. It was their house, but she just was financially more secure. So he was not on title. 
What she didn't know is that when she died, her children then had rights to that house because when you die intestate, your spouse gets the first two hundred thousand dollars, and you sh- share equally with the children the rest. Mm. So the house was worth more than two hundred. So he couldn't mortgage his house or sell his house without wow. the permission of his That's teenage tough. children. Which of course he we they would have needed a guardian, a litigation oh guardian. It would have been complicated. <laughs> so who wants to leave their spouse in that position? You know. Right. So there's right. all kinds of reasons why people don't understand the outcomes of not having. Uh, that document in place of dying intestate. So, and then, like I said, even if you're divorced, yes, your spouse won't benefit, but your cons- your estate might be intestate, and then you right. don't know what's happening. So, so you're wow. so Connie, you're in in the the Kempville North Grenville area, yep. right? That's where your practice is. Yep. And but but uh, that doesn't limit you as to fa- who yep. you deal with. You can deal with people from Ottawa, yeah. from Brockville, anywhere in you, Ontario. I can yeah. operate outside of Ontario. Right, right. Because <laughs> I know I know from. Um, uh, for for lawyers who are I guess family lawyers that are gonna deal in court, they would have like I guess there, there's boundaries I guess right. Uh, like they don't right. have to. So the the clients are bound by court. So right. they're bound by the jurisdiction in which they live in. Right. The lawyer could come Can from anywhere, over. but it's expensive to have hire a lawyer right. in Ottawa really, and then have that lawyer drive to Brockville to go to court for you. So. Right. Uh, but yeah, no. Since I don't go to court, that's not an issue. So. Right. <laughs> I have, yeah, I have actually a lot of people um, in the southern part of Ontario. Southern part of Ontario, southern part of Ottawa that would rather come south for a country drive and mm-hmm. that's actually why they end up in Campville than going downtown Ottawa so that does happen and I do help people that are are uh, looking to do wills and powers of attorney anywhere in Ontario. Great so, and right. so how do how do people get a hold of you like so give us your coordinates. Um, so well I have a website it's minimal but it's there and it has my picture my building and my address and information and it's Connie C-O-N-N-I-E Oh, actually, sorry, that's my email. Uh, my email is Connie at Lamble, L-A-M-B-L-E dot C-A. My website is Lamble dot C-A. Lamble dot C-A. Yeah, just my great. name, which is not, it's a bit of a mouthful, L-A-M-B-L-E. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. Thank you so much for coming in. We really appreciate yeah, it. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back again. Oh, great. Thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, Connie. Yeah.